So this is a discussion on the Analects Book 1, Section 1, and I'll be referring to each section by simply something like 1.1, 1 .1, 1 1.2. I will be using the um, primarily this translation, although sometimes I'll look at um, other translations, um, but this one is um, called the Analects of Confucius. The Philosophical Translation. This is translated by Roger Ames and Henry Rosemont, Jr. And I like this version because um, it does have both the Chinese and English. And it will also remind you which uh, original Chinese words are used. So, for example, um, it will translate the word ren into authoritative conduct. Now, personally, I'm not really a big fan of translating it as authoritative conduct, but at least this translation puts in the word ren in parentheses so that you know that that's what this is referring to in the original Chinese. And that's very useful. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read um, the translation and sometimes I'll adjust this a little bit. Um, don't worry too much about that. When we have, um, by the way, one more note, when we have uh, the master that almost always refers to Confucius and I um, if there's ever, ever an exception, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you know about it. All right. So 1.1 Confucius said, having studied then to repeatedly apply what you have learned, is this not a source of pleasure to have friends come from distance quarters? Is this not a source of enjoyment to go unacknowledged by others without harboring frustration? Is it this? not the mark of an exemplary person. So here uh, we have this term exemplary person and the original word for that is Jinza. And a Jinza is basically an ideal role model human being. And that's why this text translates Junza as an exemplary person. But you could think of this as a virtuous person. You could think of this as a gentleman. That's how it's often translated. You could think of this as a nobleman. I, I would translate this as nobleman. And when I read from now on, um, that's probably what I'll um, say instead of exemplary person. But I like the term nobleman because Ajunza is literally uh, and originally a lord's son. But of course it has a connotation of being somebody of a refined, having a refined level of virtue. Um, and so the term noble uh, is, a, um, is a pretty good parallel to that in the English language. So I like this term nobleman. So think about 
um, how this works. So the first idea is that when you study and then you get to use what you learn, is this not naturally pleasurable? And the second thing is also uh, a happy activity. When friends come from a very far place, you haven't seen them in a long time, is that not enjoyable? And the last one talks about harboring frustration, but, uh, excuse me, not going acknowledged and yet still not harboring frustration. So the first two are about what makes you happy. The third one is still about what makes you happy, but it's done indirectly. So it, it, it kind of ends up being a little bit of a riddle. But I'm just going to go ahead and jump to the answer because although um, I do teach many of my students how to interpret these things uh, because I want to develop them, if, if they are serious about becoming Confucian scholars uh, or Ru scholars, if they're serious about really walking the way and not having just simple superficial knowledge, it's important to help them, my students, develop literary ability, literary skill. But if you are, um, if you're just simply in, interested in how to live a better and moral life, then you don't always necessarily need the high literary skills. In fact, um, later on in book one, um, 1.6 and 1.7, Things like literary skill, formal education, and so forth, they're not actually, uh, strictly speaking, necessary to becoming virtuous. They aren't. But is it useful? Yes, it's very useful. Is it, is it advantageous? Is it beneficial? Uh, is it, yes, it's like giving a plant fertilizer. The plant doesn't necessarily need it, but if you can give it to the plant, then your chances of success are, of course, higher. So jumping straight to the explanation, though, um, I'll do that for this lecture series because, uh, you know, trying to build your ability to interpret texts through anything but one-on-one -on -one, is very difficult and if you're just somebody who is listening from the other end and has no ability to directly ask me questions at the moment at least um, it just becomes almost impossible so if you're interested in learning how to interpret you can again contact me for personal lessons but it's not necessary to develop your virtue all right, so what's the meaning here? The meaning basically is that if you are truly a virtuous person, you actually don't get frustrated that other people cannot recognize your great virtue. Why? Because you enjoy being virtuous for its own sake. You enjoy being virtuous for its own sake.
And that's very different from, from many other things, especially social status. Social status, people want things like social status and status symbols like a luxury car because they want to be praised. They want people to admire them. They want people to be envious of them. But that's not what the virtuous person is like. And so we're talking about inherent uh, enjoyment. Um, you value being virtuous for its intrinsic properties. It's sort of like this. Uh, there's a difference between somebody who wants to eat delicious food because it's delicious and somebody who wants to buy delicious food because other people will think he's uh, cool or something for it. I mean, it really makes no sense, right? But it's, it's the same thing with virtue. It's not real virtue if you um, are trying to gain virtue so that other people can look at you and say, wow, that guy's really great. So this is a great way to start the entirety of the Analects. The Analects are put together by Confucius's students and the students of those students. Uh, I guess you can call them grand students. And what has happened is that they've taken notes or they remember what Confucius said after he passed away. And they know that Confucius is a very special person, not even just once in a generation, but once in um, many hundreds of years kind of person. In fact, Confucius is called the unthroned emperor, the emperor without a throne, because of how special he really is. Uh, this that again, once again, reflecting that this is a, this is a kind of person that comes very rarely in human history. So they recognize Confucius's great worth as a human being, as a man of virtue. And they realized they better go ahead and preserve what he said, the kind of person he was, the kind of events in his life. So they start writing this down, but it's not necessarily in any kind of chronological order. It's not ordered by theme like the Shunzi is ordered by theme by chapter. Um, and it's not again, ordered in any kind of chrono, uh, chrono, chronological order. So um, oftentimes uh, these books just kind of come off uh, sort of haphazardly. And that's not really a problem. And I, I think, in, in fact, it benefits, the, this text benefits from almost being kind of random um, as to what ideas are brought up when. And that's because you really need to be good at connecting these ideas to each other to fully appreciate Confucius's way, AKA Confucius's Tao. The word Tao means way, path, journey. Um, it's uh, a Tao is sort of like a person's philosophy. 
So if you're talking about Confucius' way, we're saying his way of life, his way of being, his way of seeing the world, his way of understanding what is good and righteous and beautiful, as opposed to the opposite, perverse, ugly, foolish. So if we're thinking about Confucius' Tao, he says that it's all connected. It's all connected together. So he might be talking, uh, for example, the next one he'll be talking about, um, well, not him, but um, a different person will be talking about filiality. Filial, you know, what's translated as um, sometimes as filial piety. I think that's kind of a weird way to put it, but we'll explain that next time in the next lecture. But, um, you know, sometimes there'll be a discussion on Ren, sometimes there'll be a discussion on uh, Li, sometimes there'll be a discussion on Zhong, and oftentimes these uh, are connected to each other. So sometimes there'll be uh, you know, a discussion on, on, on what a Junzi does with Li. Uh, but there's no way to really linearly explain everything one step at a time. It's not like putting together furniture from Ikea. It doesn't work that way. So whenever you go through a text in the Confucian philosophical canon, you want to go ahead and go through it at least twice before you can think that you really understand even half of it. You have to go through it at least twice and realistically many more times. Of course, it helps to have a teacher explain things to you, but even after that, you need to do a lot of reflection. So the fact that it's half, um, it seems to be haphazard, it seems to be out of order, it's not one theme at a time, is almost by necessity, as well as providing a kind of benefit to the reader as a way to invite or encourage them to think, not just linearly, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z, but just to think on his own how this all connects together into one coherent Tao. So this 1.1 here is a great start though, because we're reminding the reader what his project is, is to cultivate himself to be a virtuous person not for the sake of impressing other people, not for the sake of passing a test, not for the sake of getting some degree, not for the sake of graduating from some uh, brand name college, university, not for getting a you know, PhD, but to be a good person, to be a virtuous person. Why? Because you want to be virtuous, because it's good for its own sake. 